Amen. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17 as we continue in our series in Exodus free at last. This morning, we're asking the question, where is God? Where is God? All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, camped at Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He came and he called the name of the place Masai Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is, is the Lord among us or not? Uh, then Amalek came, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with uh, Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, come now as all of us sit under the authority of your word and speak to us and do that work in us, Father. Make us more like your son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. If it had not been for the Lord, on my side, tell me where would I be? Where would I be? Y'all know that song? He kept my enemies away. He let the sun shine through a cloudy day. What did he do? 
when he knew I had been battered? If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I be? If you don't know by now, I like to use the lyrics of songs and sermons to convey the truth taught in the scriptures. And certainly, uh, this song conveys truths that are taught to us in these two stories before us this morning. And uh, central to both of these stories and to the song I just sang is the truth that God is present with us in our trials. We've been talking about trials for the last a couple of weeks, and the lesson that God is teaching Israel throughout these trials in the wilderness is that He is not Israel's God from a distance, but God in their midst. Yes, God is wholly other. Yes, He is transcendent. Yes, He is alone perfect in all of His attributes. Yes, He's separated from all that is sinful and wicked, for in him there is no darkness at all. Yet the one who is proclaimed as far above all is also the one who draws near to his people in their griefs, in their sorrows, in their afflictions. Isn't isn't this what he proclaimed in the person and work of Jesus prophesied by Isaiah long before the Messiah came to earth? Surely he has borne our griefs carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. None of that happens if God is absent. And yet in the face of all that God has done, And in the face of all that God does to show us His presence with us in our trials, we yet have those moments in trial where in the pressing of our bodies, the pressing of our minds, the pressing of our emotions, our finances, our relationships, or some other aspect of our well-being in this world, we say to ourselves and to others, where is God? Where is the Lord in the middle of this mess that I am going through? Where is the Lord in the middle of this pressing, in the middle of this difficulty, in the middle of this hardship, in the middle of this pain, in the middle of this sorrow? Where is God? Indeed, like Israel, we test the Lord's faithfulness, pleading in the weariness of our faith, is the Lord among us or not? Is is, is he with me or not? Is he really here? Does he really understand what I am going through? Does he really see what is happening to me? Because I can't see him and I can't feel. Where is, where's God? The acts of God, the acts of God in the past, including the recent past, become irrelevant sometimes to us in the present moment as we implore God again to prove His faithfulness this time. I know, I know you showed up the last time, God. I know you were with me in the last trial, in the last difficulty, in the last set of circumstances, but now this is pressing in on me again, afresh, anew, and I need new proof. Where are you? Make me, make me believe again, God, that you are God by providing for me in this situation. Israel, Israel wasn't many days removed from Mara when she encountered hunger in the wilderness of sin. And in both situations, 
God provided. But for Israel, Mara was Mara, and the wilderness of sin was the wilderness of sin. In other words, that was then, and this is now. I know you all have never said that to God. You've never, you never, you never thought that. You never, you, know, you all are too holy. You're too righteous. You're too, you're too good to think that. But, but some of us, when we've been in, in, in very difficult situations, I know that in your soul and in your heart, you cry out, that was then, God. <laughs> this, is, this is now. Don't, don't raise your hand. But I wonder if you've ever been in that mindset. That was then. This is now. I wonder if you ever asked the question in your trials, where is God? And if you have, then God wants to answer that question for you this morning through these stories. And the answer won't surprise you at all, for it comes back something like this, right where I've always been, in your midst, with you. And we say, but I can't feel you, God. If I can't feel you, then, then how do I know that you are there? God's answer in this story is open your eyes and see what I am doing. Open your eyes and see the resources I have given you. Open your eyes and see the ways I am fighting for you. Open your eyes and see the ways in which I have demonstrated the reality of my covenant relationship with you. Stop only looking at the circumstances and look also at what I am doing. As you do, you will gain trust, a trust that will allow you not only to endure, but to walk in covenant faithfulness with me as I work deliverance in your life. As I work deliverances, plural, in your life. And I say deliverances, plural, because God's salvation work in our lives doesn't just deliver us from temporal challenges but from all the attendant spiritual challenges that our sin and the sin of others causes. So what was God doing for Israel? What was he doing for her in her trials to demonstrate his presence with her? Well, first of all, God's presence is with us and those he gives us to lead us in our trials. God's presence is with us and those he gives us to lead us in our trials. Israel is faced with yet another trial, another hardship along their journey from slavery to the promised land. Again, they're faced with a lack of water. Only this time, there is no water in sight as there was in the previous trial at Marah. But as the previous trial, as with the previous trials, Israel grumbles to Moses at the circumstances that they are facing. Only this time, the grumbling becomes more pronounced and accusatory and personal with with the people charging Moses with the intention of killing them and their children and their livestock. We, 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 by the way, we are only, uh, uh, only uh, uh, over a month or so removed from Moses and Aaron's obedient servant leadership and bringing the people out of the land of Egypt, and yet here they are. Not only accusing Moses, but doing so in a very personal way. Indeed, Moses believed, as he said to God, that the people were close to stoning him, indicating perhaps that the quarreling wasn't, wasn't calm and quiet. There, 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 there was some frustration here, some anger here. They likely weren't following Robert's rules of order. <laughs> and raising their complaints. But God does something in this text 
that I don't want us to miss. It's something that communicates the reality of his presence in addition to all the other ways that he was demonstrating that to his people. God tells Moses to pass on before the people, likely indicating that he stand before them, yet he is not to stand alone. For God takes, tells him to take some of the elders of Israel with him together with the staff that was used to strike the waters of the Nile. The staff, of course, indicates that God is about to do something miraculous in their sight. But don't miss the point of why these men are all standing before the people, for it's an indication to the people that God's presence is with them through these elders that he has given to them to lead them. Moses, together with these elders, are servants of God on behalf of his people, and God is at work in them and through them to lead his people into the blessing that God has for them. Yes, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night is with them as an indicator of God's faithful presence, just as the Spirit of God now is in us who believe. But God also has given us other people. And in this case, leaders whose calling it is to be with us in our trials, to lead us toward the blessing of God, to help us mature in our faith as we encounter those trials, to encourage us to keep our eyes on the promises of God in our trials, to pray for us and with us in our trials. These elders are going uh, to become the very ones whom Jethro will call Moses to appoint to assist him in caring for the needs of God's people. But even before that, God was already in this incident communicating to his people his purpose and making his presence known to them through the gifts of these leaders. I have no intention of being self-serving and making this point. I only want to be, want us and want you to be mindful that God's presence is with you through those He has given to you to care for you in the body. And that call, of course, is on all of us in our relationships with each other, but is especially upon those who lead you, those of us who lead you. I want to encourage you to receive your leaders as they are, servants of God for your sake. And so I want to encourage you this morning, encourage them in their work. And don't just do it for the elders, but for the deacons and for your worship leaders and for your building team and for your life group leaders, your administrators, your prayer team, your Bible study leaders, all those who are leading you in ways that build you up along this journey as you face life's trials in this world. Remember all of your leaders as those who are striving to share the words of the Apostle Paul for we proclaim not for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake for God who said light, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and when this is not the motive of your leaders pray for them and encourage them toward it amen people of God i said this in a previous sermon but it bears repeating Resist the temptation to punch out at those whom God has given you to love you and serve you in your trials, especially when they are not the ones responsible for your trials. When life is hard, it can be tempting to release our frustrations on those who are not responsible for our hardships. And I want to encourage you instead to give God thanks for those he, he has given to you to stand with you and serve you in those times of difficulty, whether leaders of the church or family or friends. Venting is one thing. Attacking is another. That Moses felt himself near to being stoned suggests that the people were, in fact, 
on the attack. Yet Moses was in the trial with the people. When there was no water, it meant there was no water for Moses either. I'm going to say that again. When there was no water, it meant there was no water for Moses either. It meant Aaron didn't have no water either. It meant the elders didn't have no water either. They didn't have water bottles. Stored in their backpack somewhere. They were thirsty too. More faithful response would have been, Moses, brother, (laughs) we need to pray. Can you lead us in praying to God for help? Because the trial is pressing in on us, and we need God to answer. Hey, children, let's pray. Hey, husband or wife, let's pray. Hey, pastor and elders, let's pray. Hey, ministry team leaders and volunteers, let's pray. The trial is real, and without God's help, we won't be able to face it with faith as we should. So I just want to encourage all of us toward this kind of community where we give God thanks for those He has given us to guide us in our trial and encourage us away from punching out at each other and toward a seeking of God's face in our trials. Amen, people of God. By the way, this isn't to negate calling out failure where there's failure so that we might grow by it. It's an encouragement away from quarreling, the quarreling that sometimes results when we are going through hard times and looking for somebody who's the cause of those hard times. So God's presence is with us in those He has given us in our trials, but His presence is also with us in His faithful acts of salvation on our behalf. In addition to God providing water from the rock through Moses striking it with the staff of God, God also delivers Israel from an unprovoked attack from the Amalekites, a tribe that will be persistent uh, trouble for the people of Israel for a long time. Not long after the trial of being without water, Israel's confronted by the Amalekites. Moses sends a force through Joshua to defend the, to defend the people. Yet we learn in the story that, that it's not Joshua's fighting skill that saves Israel in the attack, but, but rather the same staff that had been used in the exodus from Egypt and that had just been used to generate water from the rock. Israel's testing of the Lord, which could have rightly been met by God's displeasure, is met instead by two acts of merciful and compassionate deliverance. And and the juxtaposition of these two stories reminds us that, that God's commitment to our deliverance isn't just from some of our trials, but all of them. In four separate trials since the deliverance from Egypt, God has demonstrated that the same compassionate presence that met them in their worst trial is with them in all their trials. And indeed, God is teaching His people that, that His salvation isn't just restricted to some of their trials. In, in, in the false religions of the day, a, a person had to have a deity for every circumstance of their life. God for health, a God for fortune, a, a God for conflict, a God for fertility, and on and on and on. And, and these gods were called upon when you were in a trial in their particular area of oversight. <laughs> Yet these gods were no gods at all. And God was demonstrating that truth by showing up not just in some of Israel's circumstances, but in all of them, teaching them through it that He was God over 
all of their lives and ready to aid them in all of their hardships and all of their trials. And I want to encourage you this morning that you don't need in your trials, you don't need in your trials to trust in anything but the Lord. And what is more, you have something greater than a staff as a guarantee of God's presence and your ultimate victory in your hardships. For the Apostle Paul declares, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake… We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life or death, angels or rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, you know this. Our trials seek to pull us from the Lord. And were it not for Jesus, they would be able to do so. But because he died, and because he is interceding for us, nothing can separate us from the Lord. From now until the day he calls you home, he is working his salvation on your behalf in your trials. Amen, people of God. The encouragement here is to believe that God is not going to allow your trials to trap you in a place from which He cannot deliver you. Indeed, because you're already saved through faith in Jesus, you can trust God to do through your trials the very thing He promises to do, work faith in you. I've got good news for you. Your trial, whatever it is, won't lead to a separation of God's love or a separation of the plan and purpose that God has for you. Some of you feel your faith being stretched in your trials. Indeed, you feel like the character, character Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings, not just in your own self, but your faith being stretched like butter over too much bread. <laughs> I want to encourage you not to trust in your ability to keep believing through some power of positive thinking. I want to encourage you to trust that the Lord won't let your faith fail. And He won't let it fail because He will continue to show you His deliverances in the face of what you're going through. Your faith is not going to survive, in other words, by trusting in your faith. It is going to survive by trusting in God's power to preserve your faith in the midst of your trials. You know what my prayer a lot of times is to God in my trials? Lord, keep me. You all ever prayed that prayer? Lord, 
keep me. Lord, hold me. Lord, give me the endurance I need because I don't actually have it in and of myself. The old folk would say, Lord, prop me up on every leaning side. Some of you all know that in trials, your, your faith leans. Trials can leave you leaning. It can leave your arms weary. Trust that the Lord will keep you propped up. God's presence is with us and those he gives us to lead us in our trials. His presence is with us in his faithful acts of salvation on our behalf. His presence is with us in his binding of his name to us. Uh, you've heard me say this uh, before uh, in other sermons, this idea of God's name being attached to us. But there's a nuance here that I want to impress upon you as an encouragement to you in your trials. In verse 15, when Moses refers to the Lord as his banner, he is speaking to a banner that has been raised in victory. In other words, the Lord is my victory. But the Lord gains victory over our enemies. He fights against those who have attacked the community of his people not from outside the community, but from within the community. In other words, God himself is inside the camp. T. Desmond Alexander says it this way in his commentary on Exodus. In his explanation of this verse, he says, Yahweh himself is the banner around which the Israelites will assemble in order to defeat his enemies. The name embodies a theology that holds that God is not outside the fray, but he is decidedly within the fray. By attacking his people, the Amalekites set themselves against Yahweh. Consequently, the Almighty fights against them. It's not just that God's name is on you that should encourage you in your trials. It is the truth that this name being on you means that as you are attacked by life's circumstances, you can have confidence that not only are you not alone, but that the Lord will fight for you against those things that are attacking you. And what that means practically for you is strength where you need strength, provision where you need provision, hope where you need hope, faith where you need faith, joy where you need joy, deliverance where you need deliverance, peace where you need peace, rest where you need rest, perspective where you need perspective, endurance where you need endurance, help where you need help, love where you need love. You're not fighting against those things that have brought trial into your life on your own. The Lord's name is on you, which means He is in your midst in the camp of your life, and He is mighty to save. And the reason I know this to be true is because this is what Jesus promised to His disciples who were grieving His words when He said He was going to leave them, who no doubt were wondering how they were going to face a hostile world without their Lord. To those disciples, He gave this promise, a promise that extends now to all of us who are His followers. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper yeah. 
to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And just in case you think that the trials you are facing in this world are stronger than the ability to God, for God to meet you, John speaks little children. You are from God and have overcome them for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God I'm telling you, is in your midst, and the things that are attacking you have not simply raised their hands against you. They have raised their hands against the Lord, and the Lord has promised to fight on behalf of His people. You don't need any greater evidence of that than God's sending of His own Son into the world to fight and gain victory over your greatest enemies, sin and death. So, I want to encourage you. The call here is summed up in believing the words of a song. It was written by Israel Houghton. God is fighting for us. He is on our side. He has overcome. Yes, He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, you are here. Carrying our burdens. Covering our shame. He has overcome. Yes, He has overcome. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, You are here. I will live. I will not die. The resurrection power of Christ, alive in me, and I am free in Jesus' name. The call is to believe you're not fighting your trials by yourself. Joshua wasn't winning because he was a skilled warrior. He was winning because God was in their midst. And you don't need any other evidence of that than the fact that Moses couldn't even hold up his hands long enough for the victory to come about. God isn't trusting in your arms either. He's trusting in the feebleness of your hands either. He isn't trusting in the feebleness of your legs. He isn't trusting in the feebleness of your mind. He isn't trusting in the feebleness of your heart. He isn't trusting in you having some great zeal. He isn't trusting in you to work salvation in your life. God has promised to do it because He is in our midst. He is our God, and He is mighty to save. So it means that whatever raises its hands against you in battle, against you in battle, your God will fight in order that His name might continue to be manifested in your life and through your life. Amen, people of God. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Where would I be? He kept my enemies away. He let the sun shine through a cloudy day. He rocked me in the cradle of His arms. Does anybody know what it's like to be rocked by the Lord? When He knew I had been battered and torn, if it had not been for the Lord on my side. Where would I be? 
where would I be? Some of you all are sitting here this morning in your right mind. And the only testimony that your mind is still right today is because the Lord is on your side. Some of you are here this morning and the resources haven't run out. Not because of what you have done, but because the Lord is on your side. Some of you are sitting here this morning anxious, fearful, depressed, maybe even fighting for perspective. You know why you're sitting here this morning? You know why you haven't given up yet? It's because the Lord is in your midst and is on your side. It isn't because you have a great zeal or because your faith is so large. It's because God is in your midst. And so glory be to God. Glory be to God. Because He is in our midst, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Jesus, You are here. And that presence of God is with us in Jesus through those He has given to us to guide us in our trials, through His faithful acts of salvation on our behalf, and through His name being on us as He fights for us in this world. Amen, people of God. May God strengthen us in Christ to trust in His presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we give you praise this morning that you are with us. We give you praise this morning that you are in our midst, that you are on our side. Because of your presence, Lord, we have confidence in the face of everything that we are going through. Father, we thank you for that promise of your presence. We thank you for what it means for us as the people of God individually, for what it means for us as the people of God corporately, and we continue to look for you, Lord, to work salvation in our lives, to strengthen our faith, to believe in you and trust in you all the days of our life. Lord, we pray and ask that you would indeed work faith in us. In Jesus' name.